from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. What is happening? <laughs> uh, was not expecting that music, Nick. This it's is fresh awesome. Fridays. Good morning. Yes, it is Fresh Friday. We are so glad that you're with us. It is six minutes after nine o'clock. You're listening to the G and Ursula show. Obviously, not G, and you definitely won't be hearing from Ursula nope, today. No, nope. but we have their. You know, we have their we're, acceptance. We're channeling welcome. their spirit. We're channeling their spirit. <laughs> so, again, I'm Angela Poe Russell, along with Travis Mayfield, Hi. another voice that you know. We're very honored to be just filling the the very capable shoes of, of G and Ursula. We're going to do we're our honored. best. We're going to limp along here on Friday. <laughs> exactly. We hope that you will, you know, treat us with kid gloves on the text line. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of that, do join us on the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line. That number is 888-973-5476. Let's get to the top story, shall we? Brought to you by Wayscar Ford, Isuzu, and Auburn. So we're going to start with two cases of teen gun violence, one out of Whatcom County and one here in Seattle. Starting in Seattle, we have the Seattle police arresting two boys, one barely a teenager, for allegedly carjacking at least one person at gunpoint. Cairo News Radio's Katrina Gashard reports. The 12 and 13-year-old boys led police on a chase Tuesday night, starting in the Greenwood neighborhood around 8.30. About an hour later, a second person reported an attempted carjacking at gunpoint. When the man refused, police say one of the boys fired a shot into the air before both got into what appears to be the vehicle from the first carjacking. Stop, please, stop! Let me see your hands! Get on the ground now! Both boys are facing charges of robbery and unlawful possession of a firearm. Katrina Gashard, Cairo News Radio. And in Whatcom County, a 13-year-old accidentally shooting their 11-year-old sibling with a handgun. Ooh, this happened Wednesday evening. The Billingham Herald reporting that neither parent was at home at the time of the shooting. The 11-year-old was transported to Harborview, still in intensive care, last we heard. And again, the Whatcom County Sheriff's Department calling that shooting accidental. But what's interesting here, Angela, is Chef brought this up in both cases. The possibility here is that the owner of those guns, whether the initial guns were stolen or whether, obviously, in the second case, potentially parental guns, any of those could face charges under our state's secure storage law because, obviously, they were they were in use and they were used to commit crimes. Um, You know, harm came as a result of it. And so the question is, should a parent or should someone else potentially be charged here because those guns were out and used to create and cause violence? Yeah, according to our law, they should. Now, obviously, sometimes laws are there and we're like, hey, we disagree with that. And and look, anytime parents make mistakes all the time, like all I like, I know I have when it comes to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously, me too. right? I mean, my yeah. dad was a police officer and I just remember where the gut. No, really? That's crazy. What is yeah. this connection? Wow, okay, where I did, did we not your, know this. Was your dad a police officer here? Yes, in Bremerton for like 35, 40 years. Okay, my dad was was 30 plus years in Pensacola, Florida. Oh my gosh. Yeah, did not know that. I had no idea. So the gun, I have to admit, the gun, it was, it was high up, yes. but it wasn't locked away, and we just knew not to go Same. there. But. In this day and age, when this is this is a story, as journalists, we have reported on often, if you don't have any consequences, how do you kind of send the message that we have to lock these things up? Like the data is out there, and, and we, we do have a safe in our house um, with a code that the kids do not know, um, and 
I don't know. It's it's a tough thing because I hate, hate to be judgmental of other parents, but at the same time, we're talking about their kids' safety and the safety of others. And I buy your argument. It makes sense to me that we have to hold people accountable. But I think you're also touching at something that I've been kind of struggling with this morning is the idea, especially in this second shooting where you have two siblings, this family is already, you know, dealing with the, yes. the harm that has been caused right. to one of their kids. And then knowing that it was potentially their other child who did like the idea of stepping into that family situation and prosecuting someone hurts my heart. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider doing it, yeah. but it just makes my heart so sad yeah. and makes me it makes me think like how did we get to a situation where the kids had that kind of access to firearms and do we live in a society where far, where firearms are just so ubiquitous and so easily accessible that this just happens so now here's something that could be done and this happens all the time when you have people who maybe they're it's it's the first time something like this has happened where maybe they have to do some kind of community service where they educate other parents, you know, as part of some panel or something, educate other parents on what could happen because a class C felony, keep me honest, chef. I want to say the punishment doesn't have to be jail time, but it could be a fine. So in this case, I have to imagine that a judge might have the flexibility to order some type of service where they educate other parents or, or help people with their safe storage. And that way it would send the message and show some kind of consequence without taking it all the way. To be clear on what the law is, so uh, if your gun is not securely stored and then that gun is uh, used by someone who is not supposed to have access, either you know a family member or a child, and then that gun injures someone under secure storage, you're guilty of a Class C felony. In the carjacking case, I think what most people are not aware of is that Washington's secure storage law does not apply if someone breaks in and steals your gun as long as you report it to law enforcement within five days, meaning that if your gun is stolen from your car or your home, and then that gun is later used in a crime, you didn't report it, you're guilty of a gross misdemeanor of community endangerment in the second degree. And we have conversation, I mean, this is happening right now in Washington across the nation where parents leave fentanyl out, their toddler ingests it, they're either overdose or they die, and those parents are charged with crimes. If it is community endangerment, you know, or potentially a homicide, if you leave something out that's dangerous and someone else hurts themselves, why not the same with a gun? Because I just don't see that law being applied here when it comes to secure storage. And debate me about whether that should be the law. Feel free. The text line is open. But that is currently the law in Washington state. Okay, people are definitely weighing in. You know, something um, while people text us about that, I want to make sure we talk about the 12 and 13 year old who had guns during this carjacking that yeah. recently happened because I don't know what your reaction was I mean we we had a discussion on the show a very heated discussion a, I would say it was a community discussion because all you know many of our listeners were weighing in as well on what is going on with our teens and how do we address this okay we know they've been booked into the justice center we know there has to be a consequence so what should happen when a 12 and 13 year old at this age are out and about at that hour doing this, should there be, you know, what's going on at home, right? That's a sixth um, grader. That is a let's sixth, Let's just think about grade. that. So like, as yeah. you weigh in on the text line, I want to know, what should the consequence for this be? What should happen in their universe right now? So here are some things that come to mind. This is the challenge, right? I am a big fan of consequences. At the same time, when you put a child 
in a juvenile justice center. They are around other people and there could actually be when I say other meaning the influences they're around often don't make the they don't make the situation yes. better. Yes. And so you have to balance it with, OK, how long do they stay there? Um, is there a program they can be part of, you know, that rehabilitates what should happen? Like if honestly, if it were me. If I have a 12 and 13 year old, I'm immediately finding out what's happening with their home situation. So is it that the parents were out working? Do they need some kind of resource? Um, The parents would probably need to go through some type of training, like a family kind of training. I don't know. I would love to hear from you. I just at 12 and 13, I want to say that you are redeemable, that you are, like you said, a sixth grader. (laughs) I'm, I'm at a loss. You can tell. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm grasping for solutions here. Let's hear it on the text line, the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476. All right, let's move on to the second top story of the morning. There is growing anger this morning over reports that it took 20 minutes for two Seattle police officers to respond to emergency calls that someone had been shot. Cairo 7 reporting the call came about 1.30 a.m. December 18th, and apparently the officers, Clerk Dixon and Jason Atufu, were at the police union building. When they answered the call, they said, we're responding. But then it took 23 minutes from the time they took that initial call to actually showing up at the Showbox Club, which, by the way, we've looked at it just a matter of blocks away from where they were. So like a one or two minute drive. The call was itself a priority one, which is one of the most urgent dispatches an officer can get. The police office of public accountability investigated, recommended the officers be suspended for at least three days. They got one day suspensions. Here's Donna Kelly. She chairs the SPD's African-American Advisory Council. It's a little egregious, right? Especially these officers only being suspended for a day. Officer Clark, by the way, has been investigated at least four previous times by the internal affairs folks, including once for punching a handcuffed homeless man. Officer Clark telling internal affairs investigators that when he heard the details of the call, he didn't think it was that urgent. But here's the question. Should an officer have that kind of discretion? If they're being dispatched on a priority one call, should they get to decide, meh, we'll let this one ride for 23 minutes? If you're busy at another crime scene. Mm, Not at the union hall. (sighs) Can we just back up for a minute? (laughs) So you gave a little context to the story. You said that this officer in particular had uh, a history Mm -hmm. and one of them involved punching a homeless person. Mm -hmm. That's, I guess, the person. And I actually watched this video. Oh, I'm sorry. And it's disturbing, you all. It is so disturbing. Like everything seems to be fine. The officers are talking to the man. And next thing you know, the officer just lays him out like that. Like it wasn't like the guy lunched at him. By the way, yeah, it was. It was so bad, and and they had to end. I want to say the city had to pay the homeless man seventy thousand yes. dollars in a settlement, and now here we are, a few years later, and. Yeah, here we are. Deciding that a shooting at so a club think, where there are a thousand so I, people doesn't need a response so I immediately. When you, I think when you look at an incident, you have to look at what is the back. Is this a person who's had issues before? And that makes a difference. If this is someone who, like, let's say they've been on the force many years, they're very well respected. We were in the middle of this other thing and decided to prioritize this based on our experience. But this was a case of being at a union hall. We are here. We have always said 
on this show that if you wait for small things to become big things, you've you've waited too mm, long. Mm. And in this case, there was indication there might be something brewing. That's what you're there for. And I if you listen to me enough on this show, you know, I am not a big proponent of calling for people's jobs. And I, I really do try to give grace in this situation in the city of Seattle. I have lost confidence in the leadership of the police department. I'm sorry. I oh feel my horrible gosh. saying yeah. it. No, but that's, I know chef you're looking at me. Well, can I give you one point though, that might make you feel a little better that please, the the the, uh, the second officer was a an officer in training and as part of this investigation said to investigators I feel like we dropped the ball I feel like we did the wrong thing here and if we have officers in training who are feeling their guts well, maybe they need to be empowered to actually go with those guts maybe maybe this is a case of the old guard maybe on its way out and perhaps new officers who maybe get it maybe we're moving in maybe this egregious situation there is a little bit of hope that maybe the folks we're beginning to hire and train actually are seeing a, a good example of what needs to be the done. culture shifting yes can you just follow me around often with these little nuggets of hope <laughs> like this would be travis found <laughs> us a pony i tried i tried really hard <laughs> all right let's get to our third top story of the morning to Burien, where the city council is meeting, and well, it's just a hot ticket every weekday night that they have one of these meetings. Citizens continue to pack the chambers there, and this time in opposition, and of course, support as well. The planned pallet shelter. Residents there in opposition, including a strong contingent of parents and staffers from the nearby Kennedy Catholic High School, where potentially this pallet shelter would be built close to this, and they're asking, what about the kids? I would be remiss if I did not speak up for them against the placement of this home homeless encampment that the city council is trying to push through. How do I explain that to over 820 students and their families at my school and my community? I can't and I won't. This whole debate has been a mess from the beginning. Don't exacerbate it. Recommend to the city council to go back to the drawing Thank board. Thank you. All right, so others stood by encouraging Burian leaders to move ahead with this plan as well. We cannot keep saying not in my backyard. If people don't want to see homeless in the street, they belong to our um, community, so they need to be offered another place to live. And I encourage you to say yes in our backyard so that we can improve our backyard for everybody. What's the right move here? My body is just reacting to yeah, the story. Yeah, I can story. see you. I can see it. <laughs> okay, a little context for everyone. I grew up in a Christian school, so I spent 10 years in a Christian school. My dad um, went to Catholic school, and my grandmother worked at the Catholic school. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of yeah. religion. What I really find interesting about this is that you have a cat like a Catholic school, you know, raising so much concern and opposition. Meanwhile, I see schools that are um, non what do you call it? They, anyway, they're not affiliated with any kind yeah. of religion and they are like helping their homeless neighbors and feeding them and giving them resources. And the Catholic any kind of religion it has never been a perfect thing. In my community where I grew up, the Catholic Church, they were leaders in showing us how to be and in doing what Jesus would do. For example, there was a time when black women who were pregnant were not allowed to go to the hospital. It was a Catholic priest who opened up a shelter or a place for women, for black women who could come and give birth. 
And so, like anyone, I would have concerns about something new and different moving into my area. But I think if you're grounded in your religion, in your faith, in your beliefs, you should be showing your students and your staff members how do we approach this situation in a way that manages safety and also is in line with what we say we believe. And I live near a tiny home village and I've lived in Burien and I know some of the challenges there. And I think that if they get ahead of this and say, here are the concerns we have. How do we kind of keep those things in mind and still help people and not do the not my backyard thing? It just seems um, in conflict, incongruent with what we say we believe. Angela Poe Russell just laying it on the line the way that it should be. We appreciate it. I love it. I love it. So much more of this great conversation coming up. In fact, at the bottom of the hour, the district attorney prosecuting former President Donald Trump for election fraud in Georgia on the witness stand this week under cross-examination herself. Why? And why are her reactions and retorts lighting up the internet, spawning memes and gifs and more? That's coming up next here on Cairo News Radio. And happy Friday, fresh Friday. This is the G and Ursula show. Both G and Ursula out this morning. So you got us, two former TV folk trying to pretend like we can play radio. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm pretending. I'm Travis Mayfield. Angela Poe Russell knows what she's doing. She's leading the charge this morning. But never fear, Chef is here as well. He's keeping this track, this train on the track this morning. I'm not trying to drive it off a cliff, but whatever. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> All right. So, Angela, I woke up this morning and I'm like scrolling through Instagram, right? And I all I can see are like these memes and these gifts it's the district attorney in atlanta georgia yeah, and they are fierce like oh. i mean it's like some like those the just the the electricity coming off her eyes give us the backstory why is everybody talking about her this morning oh my gosh all i can tell you is when i got home from uh doing the show yesterday i turned on the news and i couldn't turn it off like just watching yeah. her testimony and a little bit of background so as you know, there is, um, you know, a trial going on against um, former President Donald Trump and and his co-defendants and related to the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. She is the prosecutor. Well, the tables have turned. This made it interesting because Trump's lawyers are saying that she and her team no longer qualified to prosecute this case because of this alleged romantic mm. relationship So they're saying it's the romantic relationship, but the fact that she, the relationship was with the special prosecutor. Right. That she appointed to prosecute this case. That she appointed. And because he received money, Mm -hmm. that she benefited from that money because they were in a relationship. She basically was paying him to be the special prosecutor and then they were going on secret trips together and he was spending that money. And so she was So they're saying for that, you should be disqualified. So that is how all of this. So it was, I mean... She is acknowledging there was a romantic relationship, but she's saying it didn't begin until after he was appointed to that position in early 2022. But let me just play you all a few clips from yesterday. So because, yeah, she kind of broke the Internet with all of this. 
So your office objected to us getting um, Delta records for flights that you may have taken when no, Mr. Wade. Well, no, no, no. Look, I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. Yes, it was a lot of energy like that during the day. And what's really interesting is that she went against the advice of her team testifying. So this was not recommended that she do this. And she was, oh, yeah. Yeah. And what was so, what also was interesting about yesterday is I, I guess when her former romantic partner was testifying, she was in her office and she apparently, when it ended, just ran over. And so she gets on the stand and she's like, I ran over here. I can't wait for this. Oh, wow. <laughs> she's going to set the record straight. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so this next clip, she's talking about, because there were a lot of questions about who paid for right, what. Right. Did you reimburse him? Did you go through right. Cash App? Did you pay him cash? And this is a clip related to that. So let's, let's hear this. It's interesting that we're here about this money. Mr. Wade is used to women that, uh, as he told me one time, the only thing a woman can do for him is make him a sandwich. We would have brutal arguments about the fact that I am your equal. I don't need anything from a man. A man is not a plan. A man is a companion. And so there was tension always in our relationship, which is why I was give him his money back. I don't need anybody to foot my bills. The only man who's ever foot my bills completely is my daddy a man is not a plan oh i'm using that one (laughs) a companion whoa yeah ah yeah so and 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 how detailed this got yesterday because they're trying to prove that like what money was exchanged Right. right so she's saying well i because of the way my dad raised me i keep cash in the house yeah and so I paid. She doesn't have any receipts for paying him exactly, back. Exactly, exactly. And so, and and so, actually, that leads to this next clip because they were trying to talk to her about, well, you didn't keep any records of this, and then tried to say, was there some kind of contract? And that is what led to this exchange. Only money you've ever given him outside of a contract is cash. I didn't give him money in a contract, so that was cute. But I didn't give him money outside uh, in a contract. What happened is, no, we're going to answer it since you said it. He worked. He worked more hours than he was paid. And the county paid him for the work that he did. So don't be cute with me and then think that you're not going to get an answer. Yeah. So mm. that was and it, what also made this all of this so fascinating is that the judge presiding over this hearing is someone she used to supervise. Oh, Wow. Yeah. I mean, when you're that in yeah, that right. high of yeah. a position, right? Right. So a all prosecutor. of a sudden having yeah. like that, you know, this is a person as the district attorney who is used to going in that courtroom and being on the other side right. of this. And so it was just, <laughs> it was high drama and for sure. I mean, there's some very legitimate consequences here. I mean, Trump's Trump's team are the folks who are, you know, arguing that that she should be disqualified and he should be basically want the trial completely thrown out if and they can get it. Here's the deal. If she is disqualified, it's my understanding that the whole team, her whole team would be disqualified and they would have to get a new team in place and that new team would get to decide how everything, you know, 
it, it it's like it'd be almost starting from scratch. Yeah. So there are some major consequences in this. I think the other interesting part is that she was supposed to testify again today. And then, Chef, you were keeping tabs on things and discovered that it's not She's happening. She's not being called to the stand today. No, that's correct. What do you make of that? Like, do you like there's just nothing else? Because I will say this. The judge yesterday was getting frustrated. Yes, I, I read he that. He was getting yeah. very frustrated because, they, you know, the attorney would be like, OK, well, tell me about this. And, and the judge is like, we already went over this. We already went over this. And he's like, but I'm trying to build to a point. He's like, we don't need to build anywhere. Just go. I mean, I, I think um, from from Trump's attorney's perspective, if all of all of your gotcha moments are going viral on the Internet for all the wrong reasons, it's not a good strategy to continue down that path. I mean, you're going to have to pursue another avenue of questioning, and it appears that's what they're going to do. But this just uh, goes into the whole strategy of just flood the zone, right? I mean, like, they get to just muddy the waters. They get to make this a thing. They got their moment of putting the prosecutor on trial. I'm putting that in air quotes yesterday. And now, no matter what happens, whether she gets to stay or not, they get to claim that there was a taint of corruption over this whole thing. And then guess what? Guess who gets to play the victim all over again? The former president. And who loves playing the victim more than our former president? I can't think of a single person. He is the most aggrieved man I think I've ever experienced in my life. And this just allows him to be that much more aggrieved. Meanwhile, (laughs) cue music. (laughs) I just loved as you were saying that this music came up. That was perfect. He's like, just shut Travis up. No, just make him stop speaking. No, it's supposed to emphasize your point. Oh, that's all the candy music. Thank you, Nick. (laughs) Okay, so when we come back after this break, we need to talk. Oh, yes, we do. Because the question is, what does it take to be middle class in America? And there's a, I, I actually was really surprised by what this report discussed. So get it in your mind. What do you think it is to be middle class in this country? Yeah, what does that look like? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. After this. Nick doing a little Barry White. I love this. Um, it's Fresh Friday. We are so glad and thankful that you're listening. I'm Angela Poe Russell along with Travis Mayfield. Hello. Uh, just, you know, keeping the seat warm for That's G and right. Ursula on the G and Ursula show. Before the break, we asked the question, what does it mean to be middle class in America yeah. these days? Did this people re- respond? Uh, people did respond. Someone said a Costco membership. And I'm like, yep, that okay. is the good life. <laughs> that is the good life. Get that. And I love the samples. I love all the unique things that you can find. And then you spend like all this money. And you're like, wait, now I'm poor. As long as I get that dollar fifty it's hot not a dog. bad definition because you need to have the yeah. housing space in order to fit right. three gallons of mayonnaise, the 50-pound bag right. of dog food. The I extra like freezer in the garage obviously means that you must be middle class. Yes. It's good. No, it's good. There's lots of things involved. Someone else said working on President's Day that would be middle oh, class. Okay. Is it like all right, sure. All the all the executives are right, off. off. On their okay. ski vacation or something. But there's like an official definition yeah, that we're okay, going to talk about. Yeah, let's bring this up because yeah. only a third of us are, according to 
Federal Federal Reserve analyzed by the Washington Post, and even fewer of us qualify as middle class based on what we believe Mm. middle class means. So the Post survey found by overwhelming majority that Americans believe we need the following to be considered middle class. Write it down. All right. Yep. Okay. One, a secure job. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Two, the ability to save for the future. Okay. Ability to afford an emergency $1,000 expense without going into debt. The ability to pay bills on time without worry. Having health insurance. The ability to retire comfortably. Having a job with paid sick leave. Time and money for vacations. Now get this, by a smaller majority, Americans believe owning a home, the ability to go out to eat whenever you want, and a college education are requisites for a middle class life. Interesting. What um, was your reaction to this when you first? So I definitely it? think that like I come from a place of privilege, you know, I I, I definitely think we live a good middle class life. I th- but then I looked at this list and there are things here that give me anxiety. And I, I really genuinely do believe we're in the middle class. But the idea of like, are we going to be able to retire comfortably? I mean, we save like we have retired. My husband has a 401k. Like when I was working full time, I had a 401k. Like we got it. We have it all. Like, but I'm still I wake up at night and think like, what if we don't? What if what if something happens? What if something catastrophic happens? What if our kids get cancer? What what if something happens like, oh, my gosh, could we survive something like that happening? So if this is the definition, then I don't know if we're middle class. Yeah. No, listen, I, when I look at this list and feel free to let us know what you think on the text line when uh, 888-973-5476. When I looked at this list, I was like, this is not a middle class list. Yeah. Because the reality is um, some people talked about a college education. You cannot. I, it is really difficult middle class to save your way even through these programs to a $60,000 a year college tuition like that is you know okay also I will say for me it was always if my car broke down could I write the check Mm, mm -hmm. right yeah (laughs) not put it on a credit card and I can tell you that it took me a while to get to that point even though technically I think I was middle class all along um, to go out to eat. I mean, vacations. What is that? Like like vacations. I always wanted to take my kids on a Disney cruise, could never afford to do so. And it's like, I feel like I was middle class. So I feel like these things sound really great, but I just think it's really elusive. Yeah. I don't know. Am I just, what do you think? I, I, do you know how much vacations cost for a family of four? I mean, it depends on what kind of vacation. Are camping. we going over to, yeah, camping? <laughs> but if you want to go to like, you know how many, how many winter breaks I look and see everybody going to Hawaii and Mexico and I'm like, I want to go. Why do, you, why do you think we're not talking to Michael Medved today at 10 because he's in Hawaii? <laughs> I think this, this list makes total sense. I mean, if you go through it, I'm, I'm probably like five out of eight of any of these things. Mm -hmm. And it's only within the past three years that I could say five out of eight. And the reason I can check the box on some of these things like paying bills on time or ability to pay an emergency thousand dollar expense is because I have the privilege of living with my parents. Mm -hmm. Like my wife and I don't make bad money. She makes pretty good money. But the simple fact is we would not be able to save any money at all if we weren't living with my folks. And before we lived with my parents, the whole idea of retirement was a joke to me. Like, how can I even think about retirement, right, when I have credit card debt, when I'm going paycheck to paycheck every single month? 
And how much of America is that? I mean, even if you're making $150,000 a year, your combined household income is $200,000 a year. In retirement, long-term care, if you're paying $10,000 a month for modest care, how can you possibly say that you feel secure retiring in this country? Exactly. That is exactly right. And I think you're kind of going to a larger point here of looking at this list. I bet if you took this list of eight and you went back to 1950 or 1960, people would look at that list and be like, well, that's the bare minimum. Like, I mean, of course, that's like that's actually like lower socioeconomic that like the the other things, the bonuses that you have, the smaller, the owning a house, the college education, the ability to eat wherever you want. That's what I think our parents thought of as middle class. But I think in this country, our our ability to sort of get to the next level when it comes to the socio has has slid. It's really it's even hard. Taking, I've, I'm looking at I don't know about what you all have noticed. Just trying to take a flight out of this area, just trying to go oh, yeah. to some. Yeah. It's like what six hundred dollars? Yeah. <laughs> ah, Holy, it's moly. a little. Here's the thing. Hopefully, to your point, Chef, if we can get several of these things, maybe it's about re- like managing our expectations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, you know, here's what someone dream said. smaller. <laughs> <laughs> That's the American dream. Yeah, dream go. smaller. Yeah. No, okay, and I'll reframe it by saying we get to define our success. Yes, I like it. I love defining our success. All right, the music is playing. Coming up from us next at the top of the hour, we're going to talk about Tacoma. And and apparently some Tacomans being pushed out of their neighborhoods, but the city wants to intervene here. So the question is, what about public money? And what should we be doing with it to protect folks in Tacoma? That's a 10 on the Gene Ursula Show.